As um, several of you know, I was talking with Tim about this this morning, I really enjoy cooking. And I really enjoy reality cooking shows. Anybody else? Recently, I've been watching the show MasterChef. The whole premise of this show is they gather the best home cooks from the nation, you know, and they see, can they learn to cook like professional chefs? It's Gordon Ramsay with his accent and his hair and his little pithy comments. And the drama is, oh, will the home cooks get their dishes done in time? Will they know what to do with this obscure ingredient that no one else knows how to cook? I often think, what would I make? Could I do this? I don't think I could. Could I make a perfect cheese souffle in 30 minutes without looking up a recipe? No. There's team challenges in this show as well. You have two cooks as team leaders. They take turns choosing the other cooks, you know, to be on their team. And we all know what that feels like. We might have an idea of where we'd fall in the lineup there. There's always a few cooks that have either been, you know, really conflictual and you don't want on your team, or haven't produced good dishes and you don't want on your team, or who are slow, etc. And it's no surprise that those cooks get chosen last. That is kitchen MasterChef wisdom. It would make no sense for the team leaders to choose the worst cooks to be on their team since the goal is to win. In fact, you might even say that that would be foolish. Master Chef has been on my mind this week as I tried to think about what this word foolishness means. It's not a word I use very often in everyday life. I don't, maybe you don't either but it's a key word in our 1 Corinthians text. What is foolishness? Believe it or not, Master Chef helps. Imagine if a contestant had an amazing filet mignon to work with, and they boiled it. Foolish. Imagine if a contestant chose to combine raw garlic with banana pudding and tripe. It's really wise if your goal was to come up with a terrible combination. But if your goal is to win, that's really foolish. It seems like what is wise or what is foolish depends on the goal you have in mind. Our text from 1 Corinthians today is quite clear. God chooses what looks like foolishness. And yet what looks like God's foolishness is actually wise. How can that be? Let's take a look. Last week, Dr. Felipe gave a great sermon on the passage right before this one. He talked about what does it mean to proclaim that the church is one and holy, which is something that sounds foolish, right? The Corinthians were divided and quarreling out of their loyalty to human leaders, kind of like sports team rivalry is the analogy that Felipe used. He reminded us that Christ is not divided into bits and pieces for us where each of us gets something different, that his body is broken for us and gathers us all into one new united body. In today's passage, Paul builds on these thoughts. So verse 17, which comes right before our passage, Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That sounds foolish. Aren't we supposed to proclaim the gospel winsomely and relevantly and have illustrations that just bring the whole thing home and stick with you? Well, instead, in verses 18 through 25, Paul says, God chooses a foolish message. 
the good news about Jesus is in many ways absurd. <laughs> Can we be honest about that? It was then and it is now. The preacher's job is to stand up here every week and proclaim, there was this Jewish man 2,000 years ago who was both God and human, who performed miracles of healing and cast out demons everywhere he went, who was executed as a criminal, hung naked on a cross, was resurrected three days later, and ascended to the right hand of the Father above. And don't get me started on the Trinity. Trusting in him is the thing that will bring you fullness of life now and after you die. And by the way, there's, there's, you'll probably have to give up your money, and you probably will suffer a lot too. It's absurd. It is hard to decide which piece sounds most absurd in our context. Well, in Paul's context, proclaiming the Savior crucified was the biggest foolishness of all, the message of the cross. It was absurd to the Jewish people who heard it. For Jewish folks, hanging on a cross was a sign that the person was cursed by God, condemned. That's why the message of the cross for them was a stumbling block and not a selling point. For Roman folks, too, being crucified was shameful. It was for the criminal trash of the earth, the lowest of the low, not even to be spoken of, much less celebrated and put in buildings. This was the way the state used its power against insurgents. Proclaiming Christ crucified to the Romans sounded like utter foolishness, not wisdom. In our own context, we might say, this is terrible branding. Know your audience, God. They want wisdom. They want signs. You got to sell your product. Change that message. That is our own worldly wisdom. And if we're honest, when it comes to faith, our culture, and often us too, often want a sign. There's no accident. There's a whole market, right, in, in relics or trying to find Noah's Ark or proofs, right, or some really good apologetics to prove that our faith is logical, and those things have a place. But scholar B.J. Oropesa has a quote about what it means to ask for a sign. It's not an open-minded plea, like, Lord, just show me. Sometimes that's an honest plea. But instead, this, in this context, a sign is an obstinate insistence on powerful confirmation of God's deliverance that renders faith unnecessary. That hits home to me. I think that I and maybe all of us are always looking for a faith that requires no faith. A message that is irrefutable by any standard the world can come up with. And we don't have that. We have Christ crucified for us. The meaning of which only comes through revelation. Not scientific inquiry or archaeology as much as I find it interesting. But only through faith. How absurd. God chooses a foolish message. And why would he do that? God also chooses a foolish people. Scholars such as our own Dr. Scott have shed light on the context of Corinth in ways that help us here. The Roman world was all about social status and honor. The cursus honorum the path pursuing social honor. Imagine that you're walking down the streets of Highwood, you go outside the church, and you see statue after statue, or maybe billboard after billboard, of people who were, quote, noble of birth, 
benevolent with their wealth, capacious in their public speaking, courageous in battle, and virtuous in behaviors. Everywhere you look, that's who you want to be. Your goal is to get a statue of your very own. That was the way of Rome and the way of Corinth. Well, in verses 26 to 28, Paul brings up the lowly, foolish status of the people in the Corinthians church. There probably were a few folks who were higher status, but most of them were not. We know the church in Corinth included slaves and former slaves. We know there were poor folks there and widows too. You'd think they would have been happy with Paul's words about God choosing the weak, but the problem seems to be that everyone at Corinth in the Corinthian church, high and low alike, bought into the system of the cursus honorum. The goal being, get higher, get higher, get higher. I don't want to be weak. I want some honor. Now, I don't think most of us have statues as our goal anymore. And yet our culture seems to prize some of the exact same things, doesn't it? Celebrity. Become an influencer. There's some data, data, data. I always get that wrong. That with the next generation, they ask, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, basically? And the majority wanted to be an influencer on social media. That was the career goal. That wasn't around when I, when I was a kid. So if you think the church is immune to these things, you can just go check out Caitlin Beatty's book, Celebrities for Jesus. That's a whole thing. Our very favorite stories, even, are the ones where someone starts out on the bottom and climbs their way up to the top, rags to riches story. That is in many ways what we admire and value most. That is wisdom in our culture. But Paul says, no. God chooses the foolish in the world. God chooses the weak. God chooses those without influence or status or power. God chooses the things and the people that the world not just ignores, but despises. God chooses slaves and former slaves and immigrants and refugees and women and children and men of few words and elderly folks stuck at home and the disabled and even us. And he builds a foolish church out of foolish people who preach a foolish message rooted in a book, many parts of which are notoriously difficult to interpret. God, you know that's not how to change the world, right? It takes power to change the world, not weakness. It takes good branding, not the foolish truth. You literally can't publish a book right now if you don't have enough followers on social media, however good the book is. Maybe a little filter would make a good a difference for our faith. God chooses a foolish people and a foolish message. Why? Because God's power is made manifest through weakness. Verses 29 through 31. Remember we talked about how What your goal is often shapes what is wisdom and what is foolishness. Well, what is God's goal? God's goal is to draw the whole world to himself through Jesus Christ. For all of us, each of us, to be in Christ. God works through foolish things because then it's completely obvious that he is at work and not us, so that no one can boast. Imagine you have a compass 
in a room full of magnets and magnetic objects. The compass is pulled this way and that. It's confused by the competing pole of the little magnets around it. The compass is made to seek true north. Remove the magnets, and the true north becomes clear. Scripture shows us this pattern time after time when all the other magnets, the human efforts, have tried and failed. When They've tried everything, and you're at your wit's end. God shows up, and we know that it's him and only him. This is the message of the cross that looks foolish but is the power of God because only God can bring life out of that. Only God can bring power out of weakness. Only God can set us free from the slavery of sin. Only God. And this is why Jesus can proclaim the Beatitudes with a straight face. Blessed could easily be translated fortunate. One commentator describes it as someone who is to be congratulated, someone whose place in life is an enviable one. Fortunate are the poor in spirit, those who in Karl Barth's words are empty before God. Fortunate are those who mourn both their sins and the state of the world. Fortunate are the meek, which is not the same thing as being timid. Meek are those who, when faced with abuse and oppression, live in the power of God rather than seek to seize power for themselves. Fortunate are those who long for justice and righteousness, for things to be made right. Fortunate are the merciful. Fortunate are those who are pure, who are undivided in their loyalty toward God. Fortunate are the peacemakers, which is not just those who reject quarreling, not those who are content with what Martin Luther King Jr. calls a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, but those who seek to make a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Fortunate are those who are persecuted because they are characterized by all these things which look foolish in the eyes of the world. Fortunate are they, for they will know the presence and power of God. They are the ones who can rejoice in suffering, not for suffering's sake, but because it means we are near to Jesus, following in his footsteps, being conformed to his image through our suffering and our weakness. We cannot experience the power of Christ unless we are willing to suffer like Christ. That is the wisdom of the cross. God's power is made manifest. Remember, we're in Epiphany made manifest through weakness. And also, for all of its foolishness, just look around. How are we here? How do we have brothers and sisters around the world through a message of the cross? God's power is made manifest through weakness. God chooses a foolish message and a foolish people so that no one can mistake his power and glory for ours. He does this not to obscure the truth, but so he might be truly known and make no mistake about it. So he can draw the whole world, not to human leaders, not to us, not to the preacher, but to Jesus Christ, our Lord. For it is Jesus who is the wisdom and life and joy and righteousness and holiness and salvation and freedom. Jesus is our true north. So, what does the message of the cross mean for us today? 
just go and be foolish? First, a couple of things that it does not mean. Evil things are not good even when God brings good out of it. I want to be very clear about that. For example, the shooting in Highland Park was evil, full stop, as were the shootings in the past couple of weeks. Suffering is not the way that God meant for it to be. When something good comes out of it, that is a sign of God's goodness, not the goodness of the thing that happened. It's also not our excuse to not address things that cause suffering and evil in the world. Imagine if we said, we should just not help the poor because their poverty brings them greater dependence on God. They will be blessed. Beatitudes. No. Our weakness, the sort of posture and character we see in the Beatitudes and in our psalm, is the very posture and character that flows into doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly in the world. A couple of points for the big C church in our nation, of which we are a part I feel like I need to say this just because it needs to be said over and over and over. We don't need to fear losing cultural power or dominance. It might even be better for us because God's power is made manifest not through power, but through weakness. And again, say it over and over and over, no ideology based on superiority of any kind can rightly be called Christian. That is not the shape of the cross. All right. More personal. First, we do not need to fear powerlessness, vulnerability, suffering, and weakness. We don't need to flee from it, which is good because we're experiencing a lot of it right now. You don't need me to list all the reasons again. It just, even the copier and the bathrooms and the -the run-of-the-mill illnesses, so many people are sick. In so many ways, we are powerless. And that is a feeling that we run from, that I run from, with all of our might, and for good reason. Because God did not create us to be powerless, but he did create us to be dependent on him. Anytime that we feel that feeling of powerlessness, of vulnerability, of weakness, that is actually a space that by God's grace the Lord's power and care and goodness can grow for real in our lives. It's like a little garden ready to grow something. We can hate it and accept it, (laughs) even embrace it by God's grace, because that is where his power can grow and be seen more clearly in our lives. Second, I want to say a special word to our men today, which I'm not sure I've not done before, if I dare presume. Y'all are socialized often to believe that weakness and vulnerability are bad and not manly. You're supposed to be strong at all times, not cry, not show your feelings, all that. It's a stereotype, but a lot of us live into it. That is worldly wisdom of our time, and I get it. I really do. But I want you to hear that when you run from those places of suffering and vulnerability and what feels like weakness, you can actually block the power of God in your life. That's the very place where God wants to meet you with his power. God has more life for you, more strength for you, more joy for you, more honor for you when you let God's power be at work in your weakness. That sounds foolish. When you have the goal in mind, it's wise. 
So let yourself enter into those vulnerable spaces so that God's power can be even more at work in you. And the strength of character that God designs, has designed you to experience. That place that feels small and scared and weak is exactly where God can show up in his power and care. And that's actually my word for our entire community as I close. We might feel really stuck right now. Vulnerable, weary, worn down, maybe even powerless. And perhaps that is exactly where the Lord has wanted to bring us. When we are weak, and he is strong. That sounds foolish. And yet we proclaim Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. When we are at our weakest, most powerless, most stuck, when we feel naive, that is the very place where God's power can be manifest. Fortunate are we. In the strong name of the Lord, the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.